Good morning, church. How are you doing? You know, about a month ago, as I said in my video this week, when I heard about the coronavirus, I, like most people, thought that this was something that was just happening in a distant part of the world and that it wouldn't really affect me or my family. But now the coronavirus is affecting all of us. You know, some of us are wondering what this will mean for our jobs. Others of us have had to cancel birthday parties, weddings, and cancel our travel plans. Our universities are closed and moving all their classes online. You know, our schools are staying open, but we are unsure of how long for. And obviously there's a lot of panic buying that's happening in the supermarkets as people are fearful of what's going to happen. You know, as a church, as City Reach Oakton, the elders made the decision this past week to, to postpone our public gatherings for the moment and move them online into homes. Now, I know that uh, this gathering in homes is not the same as meeting with our church on Sunday. You know, there's nothing like meeting together as a body of Christ and seeing all the different members of the body of Christ and meeting together and singing together and hearing the word of God preached. But as we said in our video this week, we did this because we wanted to respect our government and our healthcare professionals guidelines. And we wanted to love the most vulnerable people in our community. Now, just to let you know what's happening moving forward, our plan is to do three things really well. As we've already said, we're going to be moving our public worship online and into homes. And we're hoping that you're all connecting today with us online and in homes. Secondly, we'll be continuing our connection through our community groups. If you're able to continue and willing to continue to meet together personally, then we encourage you to do so. But we're also going to be investigating ways where we will be able to connect online through Zoom and through Skype and through the old fashioned phone call. We'll be creating a good pastoral care network in order to care for the most vulnerable and the elderly in our church. And finally, and importantly, we are going to be staying on mission for Jesus. This is not a time to back away on our mission, but this is a time to ramp it up. You know, I believe that at this time we'll get gospel opportunities like never before. You see, church, I believe that this is our moment. This is our moment to demonstrate our faith in Jesus. You know, the whole time that I've been alive, we've never encountered anything like this. And this is really our moment to really stand up and be counted as a church. As A.W. Tozer once said, a scared world needs a fearless church. And this is our time to be a non-anxious presence in the world. But I know that's difficult. <laughs> How do you be a fearless church in a fearful world? How do you be a fearless church when you see people panic buying and doing all sorts of things when you hear that your job and your livelihood might be under threat? Well, I think the answer for us comes and is found in Philippians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles this morning, open them up with me to Philippians chapter 4. Fortunately, we might be meeting in a different format, but the Word of God still remains true. And God can speak to you right where you are through His Word this morning. And let me just pray for you that God would speak to you this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that even though this is a bit different this morning, that as we open the word together, that the Holy Spirit might speak powerfully down through this camera into the homes of people. And he might speak 
through the word of God into people's hearts and might give them the comfort and the courage that they need, that we need to be a fearless church in a fearful time. You know, as we come to Philippians chapter four this morning, uh, the church at Philippi, when you think about it, they were a great church. Uh, Paul had already commended them in the book of Philippians for being partners in the gospel. He'd already commended them for standing up under opposition and persecution. But even a great church can have its problems. And as we come to Philippians chapter 4, we observe in verses 2 and 3 that there is this conflict that's in the church at Philippi. Uh, if you look down in your Bibles, you'll notice that Paul mentions the names of two women, Eudodia and Syntyche, and he encourages them to agree in the Lord. Now, I don't know about for you, but for me, relational conflict can be the source of much anxiety and fear. When I have a conflict with someone, I often have sleepless nights. I often toss and turn. I'm often thinking about what they said to me and what I'm going to say to them. And so it can be a cause of great anxiety and fear. And that's what I think was happening here at the church in Philippi. They were filled with anxiety and fear over this relational conflict that was occurring between these two women in the church. Now, what Paul does is he just encourages them simply to agree in the Lord. And then he says to this unnamed person that, that they are to help um, them to get along and to solve and resolve their conflict. But then what Paul does down in verses four to nine is he then spells out the heart of the issue. He then gives us the antidote to anxiety and worry. And he gives us a few keys that if we apply can help us become a fearless church in a fearful time. So let's look at those keys this morning. The first key that Paul gives us to overcoming fear and anxiety is he says that we need to set our ultimate hope on the return of Jesus. Look down your Bibles in verse four. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You know, all throughout the book of Philippians, which is known as the epistle of joy, Paul has been encouraging the Philippians to find their joy in Jesus. But now Paul goes further. Look down in verse five. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. You know, Christians should be the most reasonable people. The word reasonable, according to the dictionary, I looked it up today. It means to have sound judgment. It means to be fair and sensible. Now, as I've watched Christians respond to the coronavirus, you know, in my opinion, many times we have responded not with uh, reasonableness and with sound judgment. You know, some Christians are putting their heads in the sand and they're trying to just ignore the situation. You know, I have to admit that when uh, I first heard about the coronavirus, that's what I was doing. I was just trying to put my head in the sand and ignore it. You know, I said things to, to people like, this is just a storm in a teacup. It's not really all that bad. The media are just hyping it up. You know, I do hope that the measures that our government have taken uh, will 
will be helpful. And I do hope that it won't be as bad as what we're reading and hearing about is happening in places like Italy and in Europe. But I think we are not being reasonable if we're ignoring reality and if we don't prepare ourselves for the worst. You know, I'm sure before the Second World War, many people were thinking there is no way that Germany will go to war with England because, you know, the, you know, the royal families were related. But that's just not what happened. So we must prepare ourselves for the worst. Well, other Christians think that in order to be a fearless church in a fear-filled world, that what that means is that you need to claim the victory over sickness and death. They say that we just need to claim that victory and therefore we should believe that this sickness will not even touch us. But once again, I think that this is being unreasonable. You see, while I believe as a Christian that I've been given ultimate victory through the gospel over sickness and death through the work of Jesus, it's foolishness to claim something that the Bible never promises. You know, Jesus himself said to his disciples in John 16, verse 33, he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You know, we should expect trials and difficulties and sickness to come into our lives. Part of living in a fallen world is that we will experience sickness. And if the Lord doesn't return, we may even experience death. You know, as your pastor, I want you to know that if you get the coronavirus, it will not be because you lacked faith and you did not claim victory over it. I won't look down on you as someone who lacked faith. You know, if you, if you get the coronavirus, it will be because we live in a world where sin reigns, death reigns and sickness reigns. But even though we live in a fallen world, the true good news of the gospel is that the kingdom of God has broke in. Is Jesus on the cross did win a decisive victory over sin, death and yes, sickness. And he is coming back again to consummate that reality. You see, we can be reasonable at this time. In fact, we should be the most reasonable people because our hope is not tied to this world. You know, that is why we get anxious and filled with fear, because we don't know what the future will hold. You know, just a few weeks ago, as we looked at the next few months, we thought we knew what the future held. We had pretty good plans in place. Even as a church, we had pretty good plans in place. And if we were honest, you know, our hope was in our temporary plans. But now the bubble of control has been burst and our temporary future is uncertain. And if we're honest, this is what's causing anxiety and fear. But as Paul says, the Lord is at hand. Jesus could come back tomorrow. He could come back today. And if we set our ultimate hope on his return, we won't have to deny the reality of what is happening. And neither will we have to make outrageous claims to comfort ourselves that the Bible never claims. But we will, able, we will be able to be reasonable. We'll able to exercise sound judgment and be sensible. You know, the early church, they longed for the return of Jesus. They really longed for the return of Jesus. As you read the end of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible in the book of Revelation, you hear John writing, 
that the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus, come. You know, whenever I've been away from my precious wife, Tegan, like I was recently in New Zealand, I longed to come back to her. Now, the place where I was in New Zealand was a beautiful place. I was staying on the beach in a, a place called Mount Monganui. It was beautiful. But even though it was a beautiful setting, I was still away from my bride, Tegan. And I know that there are many good things in this world, but there is nothing in comparison to our Lord Jesus. So we should be people who can't wait to see him, who can't wait to be changed into his likeness when he returns. You see, maybe what the coronavirus is revealing in our hearts is what we truly love and what we truly long for. I know for me, one of the things personally that I've found that I've been grieving, and this is sad to say, but over the last couple of days has been my vanilla latte that I have every morning. You know, every morning for the last couple of years, I've gone for a walk every morning and I'll end up at Woolworths and I'll get a cup of coffee, I'll get a vanilla latte. And obviously with the restrictions in place where, you know, only the older people can go from seven to eight, I haven't been able to do that. And I've been grieving about this. I found my heart grieving this. How sad is that? You know, this virus is helping us see what our hearts really should be set on. As Paul says, we should rejoice in the Lord. We should find our joy in him. We should be longing for his return. So the first key to overcoming fear and anxiety is to set your hope on the return of Jesus. Let the thought of his soon coming return drive out any anxiety and present concerns that you have. Well, Paul gives us a second key in this passage. The first key is to set our hope on the ultimate return of Jesus. The second key that he gives us is the key of prayer is that we need to take what concerns us to the Lord and talk to him about it. Look down in your Bibles in verse six, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Now the Greek word anxious or, or worry uh, here in Philippians uh, four verse six, it means to be pulled in different directions. And you know, that's what it feels like when we're filled with worry and fear, doesn't it? It feels like we're being pulled apart, like we've been pulled in these different directions. The old English root word um, which we get from which we get our word worry uh, means to strangle. You know, if you've ever been worried about something, uh, if you've ever been fearful about something, you know it feels like you're being strangled, like you're suffocating. You know, I've been with people who've had panic attacks and I've had panic attacks myself. And when you start to have a panic attack, you start to hyperventilate. You start to feel this loss of breath like you're being strangled. And it might sound irresponsible of Paul when he says, don't be anxious. It might sound a little bit like he's pulling a Bobby McFerrin. Farron, I don't know if you know Bobby McFerrin's song, but he came out with this popular song in the 80s that said, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> it might sound a little bit irresponsible, but notice that's not, that's not what Paul is doing at all. He's not just commanding us to do something that he knows we can't do, but rather what Paul is doing is he is calling on us to take our worries and our concerns to the only one who is truly in control. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, notice this is in everything, even in our situation right now, but in everything by prayer and supplication 
with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, Paul uses three words here for prayer. He uses the word prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Uh, The word prayer is the general word for making requests to God. It carries the idea of adoration, devotion, and worship. You know, whenever you're filled with worry, your first action ought to be to get down on your knees and to start to worship God. Spend time with Him. Remember how great He is, how glorious He is, how big He is. The second word is the word supplication. The Greek for supplication has the idea of asking with urgency based upon a presumed need. And so when you're worried, call out to God, cry out to God, bring your requests to God. And then after adoration and supplication comes thanksgiving. Now, certainly the father enjoys hearing us say, thank you, father, for your every blessing. But also the father knows that thanksgiving is an important spiritual discipline as it helps us trace the hand of God and the sovereignty of God in our circumstances. So what might this sound like if we were to bring our requests to God? If in every situation by prayer and adoration with thanksgiving, we were to let our requests be made known to God? Well, it might sound a little bit something like this. Father, my work has told me that because of the coming downturn, they may have to let me go in a couple of weeks. Father, my family and I are relying on this job and we don't know what will happen. Lord, help me not to be anxious and worried or upset. Help me to think rightly about this. Help me to see, Father, your good hand in my life. Maybe you will provide for my family in ways that I can't see at the moment. I know that you promised that all things will work together for good for those who love you and that my life is in your hands. Father, I pray that if I lose my job, you will provide for me and my family. God, I thank you for your provision in the past. I thank you that you've never let me down before. I thank you that you're a God who's promised to do good, even when I cannot see it. So I worship you, Father, through this season. And then Paul says the promise in verse 7 is an astounding promise. He says that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, the book of Philippians was written while Paul was in prison and he was chained to a Roman soldier, guarded day and night. And so Paul, in a like manner, says that the peace of God will guard the very two things that you need guarded, your heart and your mind. Now, when we come to salvation in Christ, we experience peace with God. Uh, Because of the work of Jesus, uh, God's wrath no longer abides on us. And there is now no condemnation because we are in Christ Jesus. But that is peace with God. Paul here is talking about something different. He's talking of the peace of God, uh, a settled assurance that God is in control of my life and my circumstances. 
And I think that this peace is something that is supernaturally given. Paul speaks about in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace. So this settled assurance on the inside that God is in control, it comes from God. And that is why the second key to overcoming fear and anxiety is to spend time with him, is to take your requests to him, is to adore him, is to cry out to him. Pray until you've prayed. Pray until you've received peace. You know, Daniel in the Old Testament, he gives us a wonderful illustration of peace through prayer. You know, uh, in Daniel chapter 6, we read of how the king made an announcement about how everyone had to, for 30 days, bow to him and worship him as God, the king. And Daniel could not do that because he was a servant of the living God. And so what he did is he went before his open window and he prayed as he had prayed before. And it says in verse 10 that he prayed and he gave thanks to God. And then in verse 11, we read about his supplication, him crying out to God. And then the result was that when Daniel was in the lion's den, he was at peace. He was at peace in the midst of a lion's den. And ironically, it was the king who was having the sleepless night. Daniel was at peace. The king was the one who was fearful and anxious. You see, if you want to have, you want to be uh, fearless in a fear-filled world, then you need to develop that relationship with God. Take your fear and anxiety to him. Lay it down before him. So we have seen that the first key to overcoming fear and anxiety is to set your ultimate hope on the return of Jesus. The second key to overcoming fear and anxiety is to take what concerns you to the Lord. But there is a final key, and that is to guard what thoughts come into your mind. You know, Isaiah says in Isaiah 26 verse 3, he says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You know, wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling. And before heart long, the heart and the mind are pulled apart, pulled apart and strangled by worry. We must realize that our thoughts are real and powerful. And even though they cannot be seen, weighed or measured, we must bring every thought into captivity into obedience to Christ. And Paul understands this well, and that's why he says to the church in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if anything worthy of praise, think about such things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Notice that we are to think about the things that are true. You know, Dr. Walter Caveat reported a survey. He did a survey on worry. And this survey indicated that only 8% of the things that people worried about were legitimate concerns. The other 92% were imaginary. They never happened. And so it's important that we think about the things that are true. You know, the devil 
He operates by sowing lies into our minds. And particularly at this time, we must meditate on what is true, not on what is false. Secondly, Paul says, whatever is honorable and just, that means worthy of respect, worthy of what is right. Then he says, whatever is pure, lovely and commendable. You know, our thinking should never, our thoughts should never be set on sexual immorality, but they should be pure. We should seek to be pure in thought. And then finally, Paul says, whatever is excellent and worthy of praise. We should think about virtuous things and set our minds on things that are worthy of praise. Now, obviously, the best place to set your mind is actually on the word of God. God's word is true. God's word is honorable and just. God's word is pure, lovely and commendable. God's word is excellent and worthy of praise. You know, just this last week on a Tuesday, I was feeling uh, very, very concerned and very filled with fear. And so I just opened up the book of Philippians and I highlighted some of my favorite verses. And you might want to do the same. And then what I did is I just went through them 10 times. I just said them 10 different times and tried to take the word of God and put it into my heart. You know, David once prayed, he said, your word I have hid within my heart. And at this time, this is what is needed for us to guard our thoughts by setting them on God's word, his unfailing word. So as we come to a conclusion this morning, you know, I know we can be fearful at this time. But God has given us in his word the pathway to overcoming fear. We need to remember that the Lord is at hand and set our hope on the return of Christ. We need to bring our fear and anxiety before the Lord and we need to guard our thoughts. You know, church, this is our moment. This is our moment to stand up and to be a church, a fearless church in a fear-filled world. But now as we come to a close, what do you need to bring before the Lord? What is your concerns? What are your anxieties? What are your anxious thoughts? Do you know there is no concern or no anxiety or, or nothing that is too big for your God that you can't bring before him and lay that before him and lay it down before him? And the beautiful promise of the word of God is that if you cast your cares upon him, you can cast them upon him for he cares for you. So why don't you take some moments as a group at home, as a family, just to spend some time in prayer together and go around the room together and ask each other, what, what's concerning you at the moment? What, what worries do you have? And pray for one another and bring your requests before God. And I think you'll find that the promise of God's word rings true. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Well, church, let me pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we've had together. Lord, I am so weak and I feel so weak at this moment as I preach to your family. But I pray that your message nonetheless would have got through. And I know your word is true and powerful and can transform and change hearts. And I pray that it would do so this morning, that it would bring comfort and joy into worried hearts, into anxious hearts. Lord, we know that you know all of our anxious thoughts. You know all of our worries. 
you know, every word that is formed on our tongue. And Lord, we want to draw near to you now, draw near to our God. And we know that you will draw near to us. That's the promise of your word. And we just come to you now, Lord, seeking you. And Lord, I pray that every single person in our church would experience the peace of God as they come close to you and draw near to you in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.